Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. Welcome to episode 14 of Changing Conversations and today we are joined by Mark Burns. Mark and I have worked together over the last few years in well different parts of the world probably is the best way to put it Mark. Um, so welcome to the Changing Conversations podcast. Thank you for coming along. How are you today? I'm all right and thank you for inviting me. Yes, uh, I, I, in the midst of the, the national gloom, it's also raining here in Liverpool. So um, the chance to chat uh, and uh, raise my spirits and gain energy from you two is, is, uh, is much needed. Good. Well, we'll, we'll do our best to uh, bring that energy for you. Um, just for the, for the listeners who maybe haven't come across you and your work before, would you like to just say a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I taught for 12 years uh, in secondary schools in Liverpool um, and then I got involved with a programme where we, uh, back in the late noughties, we were videoing teachers and getting them to analyse their practice. Uh, it was a fascinating, fascinating period. We've kind of videoed more than 7,000 now and through that um, it really opened up my eyes to um, the challenges of improving teaching in schools um, we've written two books um, on teaching and how to improve your own teaching. Um, and then more recently, I was really fascinated about why it was that in certain schools there's a real culture of learning and a staff room um, and why in other schools or other teams in schools that, that's, that's, that's not there. Uh, and that led us to, to kind of write the, the learning imperative. So my work day to day. Uh, it used to be face-to-face, -face, but now it's largely on Zoom. It's, and, and Teams is working with, with teachers and leaders trying to improve the quality of education uh, and improve the life chances of the children and young people that, that, that they work with, really. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know from experience, and I know because they pop up regularly on Twitter as well, that all, all three of your books are popular with teachers and leaders alike and often get recommended to NQTs, to new leaders, to existing teams and they always are recommended on the basis of being kind of practical but also thought-provoking and really accessible and providing good clarity for, for our teachers and leaders. And, and that was the aim of them Sarah, that there's, there's a ton of research out there about uh, pedagogy and how children learn but actually some of it is so dense and uh, I think some people forget how busy school teachers and leaders are and whilst it's really important to engage in the research our, our principle was we're writing for the busy leader or the busy teacher how can we help um, 
the, the word probably is it's the wrong word to say infect them um, but but actually uh, reconnect them with the the love of learning that sometimes they've lost because of the busyness of school and 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 actually say there is a way of doing this better and you can have a bigger impact and either with the, the team you're leading or, or, or with the young people or children you're teaching um, and that's always been a principle uh, trying to be persuade people on the why and then give people their uh, strategies to help them to to enact that change Mm. And I've heard you often talk about um, the concept of cathedral building, and I know that that resonates with a lot of people when they hear you talk about it. So can you share that with the with our listeners today? Yeah, I, I, I live in Liverpool. Liverpool uh, has a famous song, In My Liverpool Home. And in, one of the lines in the song is, we've got two cathedrals, we've got one to spare. And one of the cathedrals in Liverpool, the, the Anglican Cathedral, if you ever come to the city, is a big red sandstone building. And I came across this fascinating photograph of, uh, of one of the, the stonemasons who worked on it. It was uh, photographs from 1934. Now, bear in mind, the, uh, I don't think the cathedral opened until 1976. Uh, a lot of the people who worked on that never saw the outcome of it, including Giles Gilbert Scott, the architect. It took them 70 years to build it. And I often think that working in schools is a little bit like that. The work that we do, we have this great belief that we can change the world through education. Uh, and that's not misplaced, but but it is all about a lot about belief because it's it's rarely that we see every single child that we ever worked with years later. But those serendipitous moments when you meet uh, a child or a young person in thirty years' time on the street, mm -hmm. and and they talk about uh, where they've gone in life and how their life chances have been changed by education, or their, their mindset has been changed by education, or just how you were with them in the classroom. Um, I think that's that's part of the, part of this analogy. And then the second bit is, it's dusty, it's messy, it's hard work when you're working day to day. Um, and yes, it is about having a belief that our schools can make a difference to the communities we serve. But it's 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 also about. I don't think belief's enough. I think we need to have that experience day to day, the collaboration, working with the children, young people, but also our peers. And I think the best schools. Uh, build cathedrals of the young people they work with but also they help to grow the people who work there um, mm -hmm. and I think an example of that is um, is my mum both my parents were teachers um, and my mum had one of her prized possessions in the house is a cushion that was sewed by the children of one of the last classes that she had in school before she retired as head teacher um, and it's it's a, a big cushion that both my daughters have sat on as they've learned to sit at the table with the grown-ups and eat um, and I was doing an in-service day at the start of September and I was talking at the end of the day I had this photograph up on the screen and I, t I talked about the way in which the best schools don't just impact on the life chances of the children and young people but actually impact on the life chances and the the energy levels of the people who work there the adults and then someone put their hand up in the audience and said that was my class who sewed that cushion. <laughs> so this girl in the audience is now 50. This is more than 25 years ago. Said it was my class that sewed that cushion for your mum. And what a wonderful person it was, she was. And when I went home and told my mum that, she's been retired more than 25 years. It gave such a boost. And I think through the process of working in a learning team as adults, uh, school shouldn't just be about the young children and young people because if that's all it is then teachers and leaders leave exhausted and we need to be energized we need to look forward to a monday morning going you know what what can we create this week and so that for me cathedral building is about 
the impact we can have on the children and young people, but also our colleagues. Also that NQT started in August uh, and them staying in the profession for the next 40 years or whatever it is that they're going to need to serve to get that full pension. Um, and and for, it's, it's just that it's not a religious thing. It's just this idea of building something great that we can look up to in our communities. Mm -hmm. I saw that picture on Twitter, actually, the, the, the cushion picture. And yeah. I think that that moment, I, I know because so many teachers have shared that moment with me as well of, of having met um, students that they, they taught and meeting them and how powerful things that we can say and do are but maybe feel insignificant or small in the moment yeah and i think that we in this these difficult times need to be better at stopping reflecting and noticing those little those little moments and we need to be good at noticing them in the moments of people around us you know the head teacher who says to their class teacher that was fantastic the way you put that nervous parents uh, their, their nervous parents' worries at ease. It's the little things we've got to be good at noticing now. So that so the experience data that I think there's a real potential. You know, you might say this is crazy, but there's real potential for coming out of this horrendous period as a stronger community, school community, as a stronger profession, and reconnecting up with why we came into it in the first place. And um, because it's moments like these, it's a bit like. Um, you know, when you go to kind of, I heard last night some terrible news about someone I'd worked with a few years ago who's just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, fantastic, wonderful person. And both me and the person we spoke, who we were speaking about, both said the importance of living in the moment, the importance of, of, of the joy in every day, in the little interactions you have with people at home, uh, it, because it is about a mindset of things. And I, th I think the preciousness of life has come, come to the fore now. Those little things that we used to take for granted, going out for meals, visiting relatives you know the chance to do that now for many of us is, is very very difficult isn't it and we've got to when we go back we've got to we've got to really value those things i think i, I think mark that those of us that are, that are in school just now could take a lot from that advice there of um actively look and celebrate and just enjoy the moment of the positives because there is an undercurrent of of pressure at the moment that hasn't been there in school before given the current situation but there are positives every single day. And I think if we're mindful about noticing them and enjoying them and celebrating them, that actually helps us get through the days. Um, never mind the longer term rewards and, and enjoyment that you get from being a teacher. And I love your analogy about the cathedral. I had an email yesterday morning from a, a pupil who is, is not a pupil. She's, she'll be 21 or 22 now, I suppose, and wants to come back to, to visit to get some experience because she wants to be a teacher. Mm. She mentioned, you know, in her email how inspired she was by the school and by some of her teachers. So mm. um, absolutely, I love the, the focus that you have there on, yes, it's about the young person, but we need to be really conscious that to be the best we can be for the young people, we need to pay attention to ourselves and each other, particularly at this time. So as we're recording this, it's the 23rd of September, Mark. This is the day after the latest round of announcements about restrictions. So given where we are in the here and now, what are you noticing at the moment? And what are you reflecting on at this time? Yeah, I, I always joke with teachers and leaders at the start of a new session. Uh, I ask them to look at the person sitting next to them and, and jokingly say that's the best they're going to look this side of Christmas. 
but some people are looking and sounding like it's the week before Christmas. They're so exhausted. Um, I think there's, there's, I think this school is normally full on, but what we've got is an extra 20, 30% on top of that, which is pushing people to, to give them process and overload. And I think the significant about this 20, 30%, I think a lot of teachers and leaders are confronted with challenges that they haven't got the answers to. And normally, they even experienced teachers would ha and leaders would have the answers to these questions. So you have a child goes out in the playground, falls over, bangs their head. You would immediately know, Billy, what to do. Yeah. If you have a, a an angry parent in reception, you've probably dealt with you know one or two in your time. You know exactly what to do. But yeah. now we're confronted with um, questions and challenges. And and one leader said to me a few weeks ago, he said, never in my years as a head teacher have have I had more times when someone's asked me the qu a question and I've said to them, I'm not sure I'm going to have to go away and think about it. Um, yep. You know, writing risk assessments, the updated guidance. And, and, and I think the, the things I'd reflect on, um, there's a ton of stuff that we can't control and influence at the moment. And I'm a big believer in focusing on the things we can control and the things we can influence and jettison everything else. Uh, I'm finding teachers and leaders getting really, really frustrated, particularly in England, with the antics of senior politicians, uh, contradictory and ever-changing advice. And it's all very well to be politically active, but at times like that, that can just drain your mental, uh, your, your energy. Uh, and I think we've got to focus on the things we can control and influence. Uh, I think we've got to be better at noticing. I think there's a danger that we work, we put on a set of glasses at the moment which only filter, they filter out all the good things that are happening. They filter out that ch young children, young people are delighted to be back in school. My daughters were delighted to be back in school when the school opened. They'd had enough of Google Classroom for six months and they wanted to go back and be taught by human beings. The power of human connection. Um, looking at opportunities, I think, uh, the other thing I'm reflecting on is what are the things in school that we've been doing for years that now is the time to say, let's just stop doing them. Yeah. Our school I'm working with um, in England have, have been observing teachers for years, three, four times a year. They're finding it's made no impact on the quality of their teaching. So what they're going to do is stop doing that and instead invest time in supporting their development. I think there's an opportunity to step over a line. And if we can create that, that time and space to actually say, let's, let's build back better from where we are. Um, but we've got to get, mentally get to that point haven't we and we've mentally got to look for growth instead of problems um and and i think for me the leaders and teachers who are maybe thrive is not the right word at the moment who are surviving this better are the people who go into it with a kind of stoical mindset and that you know uh, what's the learning i can take from this i'll focus on the things i can control and influence i'm going to leave everything else uh, i'm planning for things not happening <laughs> You know, any plan you've got at the moment, just hold it gently and just put version 1.0 at the bottom because it will probably need to change several times. Um, you know, we're the 23rd now. We had announcements last night. By the time we finish this podcast, there could be new guidance. We yep. just don't know, do we? It's noticing that you're looking a bit uh, exhausted today and I'll say, I'll do your dinner duty for you. There's a cup of coffee, a stack of biscuits. We've, we, it's a team game at the moment, isn't it? Really, really uh, focus on, 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 on working as teams. Yeah, looking looking out for each other. As yeah. you say, that energy is limited, and we need to manage it best we can for ourselves. 
but you're absolutely right. Part of it is looking out for each other. Um, I don't know if if I look like I'm ready for my December holiday, but we um, we we walked through the, the path that many schools have walked and will walk yesterday in terms of a positive case in the community. Mm. And you know, here we are today, still open, still going, people still being educated, and you get through it. But it is but it is tough at the time. But what got us through it is the, the team around us and relying on each other. And that's absolutely right. And it's about problem solving, not problem seeking, isn't it? And it's about, it's about saying, okay, this is the situation. What's our plan? Will it work? If it doesn't work, let's refine the plan. And we've got to be real learners at this moment. And, and, and I, you know, for years, we talked to children and young people about the importance of being resilient and resourceful and having a growth mindset, all these sorts of things. But to actually embrace being a learner makes you hugely vulnerable. Yeah, it's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable at times. Um, and, and, and it's best done in a collaborative way. Uh, and we've, we're, we've, we're walking through a period we've never been before. So we've all got tons to learn from it. And, and at the other end, you know, when this thing ends, we can come out much stronger. And I think we've got to have that belief that through this process, we can become better people, better leaders, better teachers, and a tighter team as a result of it. So in the context of all of that, that we, we know we're in the middle of at the moment, what advice might you have for school leaders around how they design learning and create a learning environment in the midst of this context? Yeah. And this is hard because some people are saying to me, Mark, professional learning, we know it's the glue that holds our team together, but dot, dot, dot. Mm. I've got people uh, in floods of tears at the end of the day who've worried about, you know, because when you get health concerns, you've not just got teachers or leaders in schools. You've mm -hmm. got children. You've got people who are parents themselves in some cases. They're children of, of parents who may be elderly and suffering. So for me, it, it, it's thinking about where are those gaps and, and actually, you know, if we are moving to more towards blended learning or remote learning, that's operationally where we're going to have to put our energies in terms of professional learning, not jettisoning the, the principles of good pedagogy. I think they've got to drive what we do remotely and not being driven by shiny ed tech, but actually thinking about, is this going to help kids learn? Because I think there's a danger of, um, convey about uh, remote learning where actually it's not learning it's just keeping children busy parents are happy because their kids are busy teachers are happy because parents are happy and children are busy but I know during the first lockdown my daughters worked really really hard and some of the stuff I'd say what does that mean I've got no idea she's made 20 pages of notes she's got no idea what it is and and, and we've got to think about um I think when we get children immersed in learning like when adults immerse in professional learning the process is really really rewarding and we've got to think about those same principles and, and um, yeah I, I, for me it depends I think schools are in very different places I don't know Billy your school's on the edge of Glasgow and I know uh, your school's in an area of quite you know severe um, cases at the moment I'm in Liverpool it's the same way that we've got local lockdown here there's parts of the country where Covid hasn't really touched yet I was talking to heads in Angus where they're saying actually touch wood we're okay at the moment so I think it's very very localized um, and 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 you know so so for me if we're going to try to create that learning environment I think there's certain key things we need to do we need to try and make sure there's processing capacity is the time and space for it if there isn't then it's not going to work um, and we've got to think about 
you know, what's those micro focus people can, can, can work on at this time that's going to really help them, that's going to enhance learning, it's going to enhance engagement in classrooms. I think they're the two key principles I'd work at. But I think, you know, the advice now will be different depending on your school and, and where it's at. Mm -hmm. I think we push too hard at the wrong time. I think we're just going to create problems for ourselves and damage trust. Yeah. And I think that also the point you mentioned earlier about well, what do we need to stop doing as well? Because we're good at bringing more in and thinking about what else we need to do, but we don't often think enough or take enough action on what are we going to stop? And now... And, and yeah, and, and, and the danger is when we're really busy, like we've been up until COVID started, schools are really busy places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we thought, oh, well, we'll, add, we'll just add that. And we've seen that at a conference or, you know, I've listened to uh, Billy and Sarah's podcast. And I'll add that in or, or I've been to a teach meet or something. But we are innately magpies, aren't we? Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the worst magpies are the people who are really open to learning because they read more and they go to more stuff and more events. Um, but but it, I think we've got to always keep in the back of our head is this better than what we've got already? And how long will this new thing take to do each week? And if it's going to take three hours, what three hours are you going to take off people? Because what will happen is, um, as a great, um, a great friend of mine who's our teacher, he said, he, um, he said, in our school, we need to focus on a culture of completion. For too many years, we've been focused on launching stuff, new shiny things every new, new session. It's about embedding now. And we're not going to do anything new, which is going to get good at what we're, what we're the, the core the core purpose of what we're what we're at. And I think maybe there's an opportunity of defragging our schools during this period, and actually afterwards coming back and saying, where is the evidence that says this makes makes sense? It may be culturally what we've always done, mm -hmm. but what can, what can we let's let's strip back and get really good at the core principles of teaching and learning? Yeah, and I guess the whole the whole period of of lockdown and and remote learning or home learning or whatever you want to call it, I guess what that did for schools was it allowed them to look at the impact they have in a different way. You know, you would never get the chance to do that as an experiment or as a, a self evaluation tool, but actually it gives schools an opportunity to look at the kind of impact they have or have had on their students and what's really worked and what needs to change within that. Yeah, if, if we have the time to do that, and some schools I work with haven't evaluated the impact of their, of their remote learning, and they're probably just going to do what they did last time again. And the question to me, you know, the NFER study into English schools uh, during lockdown, two million children didn't engage with, with any home learning at all. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them will be digital poverty. Yeah. Some of them will be a big gap in terms of independent learning skills and self-regulation. Yeah. Now, in schools over the years, I've seen teachers work harder and harder and harder but actually one of the things we've neglected because it didn't seem to be measured by the system was are we developing this independent learning, this, this you know, that self-regulation, that drive amongst our learners to work from home. Uh, and, and the second thing is, you know, it really tests out when you're working remotely as a child, is what you've been provided with clear enough for you to work on to get to beautiful. And in some cases, there's been gaps in what the children have been given and they've had to, they've tried to try and piece that together themselves, which some of them have found really, really hard. Um, so yeah, I, th I think, I think there's real, real question. And, and, and I think the final thing is um, the extent to which we see parents as, as um, partners in learning. Are they clear on how to support their children best, whether it's in primary or secondary and what can we do? Um, because some parents, uh, were working as well or didn't have the subject knowledge I know myself and 
and how to support children in secondary when they're working? Do you stand over them with a big stick and keep prodding them until they've done five hours? Or, you know, or how can you sort of scaffold and support even when you haven't got the subject knowledge? So there are real, real opportunities to think about those things, um, but only if we make the time for it. The danger is that operationally, we're so busy that we get through this period, come out the other end, and we just go back to normal. And I think we'll miss the real opportunity if we do that. Mark, you've, you've spoken about the importance of professional learning. Um, so I wonder if, if you can reflect on the challenges and the potential changes there. Also, maybe reflecting on your most recent book, The Learning Imperative, and, and what advice in there you have for school leaders at this time. Yeah, I think, I th the, the, the Learning Imperative, um, Billy, was written uh, after years of engaging with schools and working with leaders and teachers and try to unpick some of the unconscious practice of the best uh, leaders we'd worked with. And I think there's two key strands I draw out from the book at this stage for leaders in this environment. I think one is the importance of building strong relational trust for people in your teams. I think the school leaders I'm seeing who are thriving may not be the right word, but I, I certainly, certainly got their heads above water. They're the people who have invested in building strong relational trust with people in their teams. And so the analogy I'd say is, you know, they're at the tiller in, on their boat in the storm and they've got everybody up on deck supporting them because that, that sense of we're in this together. And then I think the second key thing, I think, is the importance of, of really, really clear communication and checking for understanding. I think at this time above all else, sometimes people hear what they're listening for and that's not the message that's being conveyed. So I think certainly that investment in time in making sure what, is, what has been said has been understood in the way it's been intended is so important. And it's so important because schools are running on a million miles an hour with social distancing and all those other challenges. Um, and that applies to every member of the school community, every stakeholder, families, children, young people, um, and, and our, our colleagues, our teachers, our support staff. It's how we create that, that strong relational trust because, you know, the example you gave before, Billy, you know, you've got a child who, who, who's tested positive. You know, there'll be other people saying, well, is Billy right just to send home that child or that group of children? Shouldn't it be more? And assuaging those fears and making sure people are clear on those messages, I think is so, so important. And for me, talking to school leaders at the moment, they're actually thinking about how can I go plus one in those areas? How can I go that little bit better in that? Uh, and making sure that those communications, the planning, and the coherence in our head about the plan before we go to our teams is really worked through on a slow basis. And so every member of leadership is on the same page uh, because the stakes are much higher at the moment, aren't they, if the ball gets dropped? Yeah, they absolutely are. But connecting the two there is really important because you spoke about the importance of communication and you spoke about the importance of working with people and investing in people, which is a story we actually, which is a message that we heard loud and clear recently from the Chief Inspector in Scotland, Gail Gorman, when we asked her what her advice would be for school leaders at this time, and it was clearly invest in your people, look after your people. Um, so I suppose that you know, living, living this at the moment and the amount of guidance document and risk assessments and email, etc., it's really, really important for us to follow up with that personal touch. And as you say, check for understanding, you know, just touch base and, and make sure that it's landing the way we intended. Yeah, I, and I always say to school leaders that dialogue knocks monologue out every day of the week. 
you know, the importance of dialogue and the importance of listening and checking for understanding and paraphrasing little things that sometimes we forget about because we're so busy and you've got another 20 things to do and, and an email's come in saying urgent and there's 15 urgent emails. It's that bit that sometimes unconsciously we can lose and it's just so important because if we get it wrong, it just creates more processing overload for us, doesn't it? It becomes then, it, it kind of builds up its own momentum. Um, and it's that slow thinking I think we really desperately need. Um, and either as a collaborative or having someone you'll go to coach or support of or, um, sounding board just for those moments, um, you know, just to think about, okay, what would beautiful look like in this situation? What, are, what's my, what can I affect here to maximise our chances of getting to that point? I think are really, really important. Mm. You, um, you remind me of, of my favourite quote, which I'm, I never tire of sharing, but it, it's the Nancy Klein quote who wrote, time to think and more time to think, that the quality of our actions is determined by the quality of our thinking. And that actually it's in times like these where we are pressured and we don't have time that we have to make time. Um, and while that can feel like maybe an indulgence or something we just don't have the space for, actually we need to do that to improve what we're actually doing and it's the only way to to kind of do that to create that space and and that can be half the school leaders who are working 80 hours a week at the moment yeah. and being woken up in the night with a problem um but you know some of my i mean during lockdown i went from a full diary to an empty diary Mm. Uh, and and that whole kind of wow this is really interesting and the danger of just throwing hours and hours and hours at it mm. most of my best ideas have come from the routine I've got in of early morning cycling at six in the morning for an hour or so sometimes with a podcast sometimes just listening to the wind in my, in my hair but through that by not thinking about it you get the answer um, and it, it's it, you know I'm a great believer Nancy Klein Daniel Kahneman talks about the importance of slow thinking Mm -hmm. And I just think these are times of slow thinking, both operationally and strategically in the, the medium term when, when we get beyond this. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, that's back to the idea of cathedral building, isn't it? Because you don't build a cathedral without that long, slow thinking about how does this piece fit together? Are we, are we going in the right direction here? Uh, mm -hmm. And is everybody still, on the, still working from the same plan or have they all wandered off and, and found something else to do? Mm -hmm. you, you do need that time with your own thoughts. And also you mentioned earlier, about the importance of talking to someone else. You know, those coaching conversations. Mm. The Scottish government at the moment have recognised a need in the system, um, particularly, I suppose, for leadership roles in the system where we are dealing with unprecedented, uncharted challenges, that it, it can be beneficial, even though you have supportive teams within your organisation, just to have a, a trusted other to to release and, and bounce ideas off, etc just that importance of having those coaching conversations i couldn't agree more belly it's it's you know i i used to think when i was uh, i used to run competitively and i talked talk about being physically in the right place uh, and that's one thing but you need to be mentally in the right place because it's it's the it's not just what you say it's how you are with people around you and this kind of notion of cathedral building you're trying to inculcate a way of how we do stuff in our school a way of thinking a mindset and my pts one day might be the head teacher of this school so i've got to i've got to train them in the in the, in in and it's not just in a set of skills it's a, it's it's a mentality about how we think 
Uh, and, and we want our young people to be, do the same, don't we? We want them to s slow think about relationships, about deferring instant gratification for the potential long-term gains they could get in their lives. Um, you know, and, and all of those things go together. And um, one of the most inspirational heads and one of the guys who um, I went to interview as part of that, I, I loved the research of part of writing the book. I, lo I loved it. I spent a year going around the country interviewing some phenomenal head teachers, some of whom were unconsciously brilliant and just listening to them. And one of them, a guy called Stuart, uh, who probably won't be listening to this because he's based in England, but uh, who, who knows? He has supervision every Tuesday afternoon. And if I ever try to, if anybody tries to, it's, it's, it's always blocked out. And it's in the time when he, he stops, unpicks and plans ahead the week. And he's got the most zen-like calm day to day when you see him in school. Yeah, because he can be in the moment with people because he's already sorted out his plan for the week. And I think being in the moment with people and not being preoccupied with other things is it's really important professionally, but it's all really important with people we live with as well, isn't it? You know, because the danger is we give it all to school and we come home and our own children, if we've got them, mm -hmm. feel like we're some kind of stranger. So it's that balance. I think it's all, always about balance. And, 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 and from that deep reflection comes energy, doesn't it? Because you suddenly go, wow, that's the answer. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm worrying about here the, pro the effects of the problem. I need to deal with the causes here. Yeah, and you f need to flip it. It's those moments when you go, God, I can do this, but you've, it's, it's just the, the, it's the listening moment, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think you've given us lots of advice, Mark, and lots of food for thought. So thanks very much for that. So Mark, before you go, we ask all of our podcast guests the same three questions. So your first question is, what did you want to be when you were growing up? When I saw this question, I giggled. Because <laughs> I, 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 my experiences growing up, once you get beyond the, the disappointment age seven, that I was never going to be an international footballer. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was more what I didn't want to be. I experienced an, a, an array of jobs. I worked on a building site. I was sent for a long stand and tins of tartan paint all summer one year. I then worked in a, I worked in a pub uh, serving 400 covers on a Friday night in the, in the, in the kitchens in 100 degree temperatures. I then worked for an insurance company when I couldn't wait for four o'clock each day so I could go home. So what, what drove me? Eventually, it was a journey of kind of discovery. And what I kind of came to realize is actually I wanted to help make a difference to the lives of children, young people and communities. That I, that I, and that's what led me into teaching. Uh, and then subsequently trying to have a greater impact through writing and, and working um, nationwide and abroad with school leaders and teachers. It is about, for me, um, it's what I got from school that, that, that really infects my, my thinking about this. I got a love of learning, a curiosity. My, my um, history teacher, Mr. Cully, when he retired last year, I sent him a bottle of champagne and a photograph of my bookcase because it's covered in history books. I didn't do history at university, but I said to him, you are the person who every summer I buy history books because I'm really deeply engaged. And I'm just, I'm just curious about the potential for learning to transform people's mindset as well as their life chances. So really it, was, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. 
uh, I just didn't know, but I, I gradually learned the things I didn't want to do. I wanted to do jobs where, I could, where there would be learning and growth and potential from, even though at times that's massively exhausting. And I, I imagine there's a few school leaders and teachers listening to this going, I'd love to work in Tesco and go home at four o'clock having finished a shift and just not think about anything till the next day. But it is the th if we can connect with the learning from it, we get so much more through the process. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's the thing about longer term happiness and being linked to purpose. Um, but importantly, thanks for the mention of tartan paint. And for any listeners who are not from Scotland, you must look into investing in some tartan paint for your next decorating job in the house. Mark, the second question is to ask you what you're reading at the moment, whether for pleasure or for work. Yeah, I think I have to divide my work and pleasure quite differently. There are Sometimes the work, the, the, the stuff I'm reading for work is academic papers uh, and, and, and that's a different type of reading. I'm scanning for information. I'm scanning for ideas. I'm scanning for things that maybe uh, I already knew about or things that, oh, that's a different slant on it. On a personal level, it's funny, I get a lot of um, learning from looking at leadership in different fields. Uh, I listen to podcasts a lot uh, of leaders in industry, in sport. Um, somebody's bought me um, Carlo Angelotti's uh, as a book on leadership, uh, quiet leadership. And it's fascinating to look at that and draw the principles across into education. Um, and, and, and other things, you know, I'm, uh, the book I'm reading at the moment, it, um, What Dementia Teaches Us About Love. There's uh, a close member of my family who's got advanced dementia and just unpicking that and working through memory and how important it is in terms of human connection but also realizing just reminding you of the preciousness of every day because you know in six months time that person might not remember who I am and in these periods of lockdown they're big things mm. yeah that not being able to visit someone in six months time they no, may not know you again so that so those things so yeah um a myriad of different things. I'm a prodigious collector of books. Uh, it takes me a long time to read them all. So I'm hoping if we are having another lockdown, I'm not going to buy any more books. I'll just read the ones on my shelf. <laughs> so this is not a question, but I'm intrigued. Um, what's your favourite podcast? Apart from this one. Uh, there's one by Simon Mundy called Don't Tell Me the Score. And the interviews people from a whole different range of age. And so many times so I've gone, that's exactly what it is in, in, in um, education. You know, it's Dina Asher-Smith, the great sprinter, and she talks about loads of things, and it's really, really eminently transferable. And I think um, in these times when, when, when people are stressed, sending staff a podcast and say, on your drive home tonight, just do some slow thinking, listen to this. Yeah. Yeah? It, you know, half an hour, just to, and it just unpicks and unpicks, and you go, oh, that's me, or that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. How can I pick there? And it, you, you, it's recognising some of the innate, underlying messages of life that it's hard work it takes focused practice to become really good at things um, but the, the, some of those messages are really kind of transformed if people are into sport as well that's great but not everybody on there is in sport mm -hmm. a range of different fields so yeah mm -hmm. don't tell me the score by uh, Simon Mundy I think it's on BBC Sounds cool well I'll have a look we'll maybe post the link for that in the episode notes so the last question is, um, and you've given us so much to think about, but do you have a quote or a message that you would like to leave listeners with? Yeah, I think I'm going to leave listeners with a formula. And the formula is a very simple one. E plus R equals O. Um, and in this formula, E represents events, things that have happened, things that are outside our control. 
uh, and my advice to me particularly me and everybody anybody listening is don't sweat the events they've happened the things we need to focus on is our which is our re our response to the event not our reaction because reaction indicates it's on thinking but it is about a considered response and the second is the o what's the outcome what's the most beautiful outcome i can get in those situations and if we in our schools at the moment can focus on our responses to shape the best outcome possible we've got the best chance of coming out of this other end and actually looking back in several years and saying actually that really strengthened our community um, and and that oh are we moving towards that beautiful destination that cathedral and and for me every day it's a discipline of actually not sweating the e not sweating the events there's too many things outside our control at the moment and it's a source of real mental um health problems yeah. by focusing on them and through our response our collective response we'll actually realize we've got we are a community of possibilities we can we can actually have more impact than we realize so so that's what i'd leave listeners and it's not an easy message and i'm finding it hard at times to hold myself to but sometimes i just write it down and get stressed and say come on mark you're stressing about the e here the event let it go let it go as ever thank you mark for your insight your clarity and also bringing a sense of hope i think today as well so thank you Absolutely. thank you for inviting me to talk it's been great to get the energy from you two guys thank you thank you mark thanks well thank you so much for listening to this episode and please join us again for the next one in the meantime you can get involved with the conversation via twitter or by seeing the episode notes for our contact details. Thank you again from both of us. Stay safe and take good care.